That's an appropriate song leading into uh, our return to Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 33. I'm not going to read it this morning, but we've been on kind of the theme of what does a Christian marriage look like? So we chose us to <laughs> show that to you. Because um, no one else would do it. <laughs> there you go. But I did want to remind us that uh, some of the wonderful things that we're talking about based on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, which very blatantly talks about marriage. You know, there are many other passages across the face of the New Testament which give us practical, very practical. I mean, people pay money, they pay money for this stuff. And, and you don't need to order a booklet or five booklets and seven CDs or DVDs for example, if you and I just follow these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Just imagine if you were patient and kind in all of your relationships. Love does not envy or boast, so you're not jealous. You're not suspicious. You're not fault-finding. Wow, what kind of an impact would that have? At home, at school, at work? It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Of course, the, the catch is you can't do this in your own strength. You need the Lord. You need the power of Jesus Christ in your life. You need someone that you can trust to follow, if you will, blindly, because you trust him so much. And I mean, who wouldn't you trust if they're calling you to these kinds of things? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, quit trying to remove the splinter from your friend's eye when you've got a big beam in your own. So get, get that beam out of your eye. He doesn't say that then you cannot. No, he says then you'll know how. You'll see clearly to remove the splinter from the eye of your friend or your neighbor or your spouse. If you get the beam out of your own, or how about what Jesus built all of his teaching on? The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And then the second command, he said, is as the first, your neighbor as yourself. Well, if we just did these very plain things, what a tremendous impact it would have. But the reality is we need Jesus Christ in our life to do that for us. And that's why these messages have been built around love wins when Christ is Lord. Because whether it's a marriage or a dating relationship 
relation with parents, parents with children, coworkers, whatever the relationship, if we were to put love and respect into the language of our lives, it would change everything. I read a quote this week, people fall in love, but they don't often fall into sacrificial love. And that's where Christ is needed. So that's the cornerstone of what all of our practical answers come out of, is ultimately tapping in to the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and learning to manifest and exemplify love and respect in our relationship. Uh, We dealt with three questions last Sunday. We're going to deal with uh, a few more this morning. And uh, the first question is, how does this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses actually 18 through 33, how does it apply to broken households and blended families? I just want to add one more thing before we move on to that question. Um, When you talked about all those scriptures which are so rich, and if you really follow them and put them in your heart, it, it can't help but change you. And another really good practical tool that I've used is reading the book of Proverbs. And you know, there's 31 books in Proverbs. Years ago, I mean probably 20 years ago, someone challenged me to read a proverb a day. And, you know, I read other things, but that was one thing that I could always do. If it was, and if I missed a few days, if it was the ninth, I read Proverbs 9. There is so much practical wisdom in that book about your tongue, about how you treat others, about friendship, about children. Uh, it, It is so rich, and if you would even challenge yourself to do that for, I did it for years. I, I haven't done it this year, but it changed really what came out of my mouth and how I treated other people. It's like it permeates you. So read a proverb a day. Um, for some good practical wisdom. And so back to this question, I want you to start, because it's a hard one. But droves of people got in touch with me this week just raving about your answers and how fantastic your answers were. I think they just, I'm a fresh voice. You know, they hear you all the time. So you still have wisdom. This, I also, somebody asked me, um, I, I mentioned that I was, more nervous this week than last week, and it came to me at the beginning of last service. I think why I am more nervous is the questions we're answering today are tougher ones, Um, like when things don't go right and anger, and they're tough ones. There aren't really pat answers, and also there are things that I still am working through and struggling with, so anyway, we'll give it a go. But you're making real progress. Thank you, honey. (laughs) As one who does not struggle with anything. Oh, of course you don't. Okay. Okay, I will answer this. Um, How does this passage apply to broken households and blended families? Um, I think that what this passage is talking about is love and respect. And it is applied to marriage. But love and respect work in any situation. Love and respect apply 
uh, to broken situations, especially, well, and uh, blended families, I do believe. I think the trick is to show love and respect when you don't get love and respect in return. That's, that's the really hard part, and that's why all of this depends on the Lord. We need his endurance. We need his motivation when others are not drawing it out of us. We need to take the initiative and the incentive. Uh, we have to have the vision and the purpose, and we need to realize that this is what God is asking of us um, in our relationships, and uh, that is where Jesus really comes in. I think if a couple show mutual love and work, mutual love and respect, and they work together, it can have a profound impact on the home, and their relationship becomes the the sticky core that is so influential on the children and all of the satellite relationships that come in contact with that couple. And if it's built on Christ, I think that's very much why um, we can have an influential relationship. That can begin whether it is considered broken or blended, uh, whatever the situation, when two people draw a line and say, even if you have to start over and say, you know what, uh, let's do this together. And let's pour right-hearted, mutual love and respect into this and work through the difficulties, uh, communicating our way along, uh, helping each other when one is weak and uh, when one, one is strong. I do think that when things don't always go our way, it is important to know that when we follow the Lord in that and doing the right thing, we know something that I would call wholeness of soul. It doesn't always, it isn't measured in terms of changes. Sometimes we want rapid and immediate payoffs to encourage us, to incentivize us to do the right thing. But what we need to do is become more sensitive to what's going on inside of us and inside, if you will, our spiritual life and walk with the Lord. And I have found that when times are tough and I'm not getting any reinforcement from the outside world, and that outside world may involve your children, may involve your spouse or friends or co-workers, whatever they say, maybe even parishioners sometimes, but... Um, I'm focusing on the uh, marriage relationship right now, but when, when we don't experience that reinforcement, that is when we discover something in communion with God through Christ, and that is what I call wholeness of soul. And when I put my head on my pillow at night, there is nothing outside to point at, but I know that I have walked with God in a righteous way, in a loving and respectful way, and that is what I call wholeness of soul. It is a fullness, it is a satisfaction that allows you to sleep well at night, even when circumstances aren't supporting that. Along with that wholeness of soul, I liked that in the last service when he said that, but the song that Paul led us in about it as well with our soul and what he talked about uh, before that, how when we aren't communing with our Lord, then we don't see the Lord. And so how important it is for us to be doing that. But um, in a marriage, you know, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on him. My eyes are not on John. 
Uh, my eyes are not on my children. My eyes are on him. And only because of that do I have wholeness of soul or wellness of soul. So that song to me was like a real um, uh, ballad for marriage. I thought that was that really touched me this morning. But back to the question about broken. You want to add yeah, something? Yeah, I mean, we, we've never... <laughs> We, we personally only know about broken relationships and uh, blended families from our fa larger family circle. I, um, uh, my parents divorced, my father left us, and so I know it from, from that standpoint. Uh, but I do think that a mutual respect and love, communication, uh, working together, especially the husband and the wife, and practically, uh, we'll talk more about communication, but even family meetings where you, wa you walk through some of these things together. Uh, maybe if you've started on the wrong footing and you have more of a um, uh, profile that you don't like, uh, characterizing your family at this present time, you got to do the hard work of bringing everybody together and confessing your sin, but inspiring them to something greater that you're willing to take the lead in, that you're willing to shoulder and show the way, even if they lag behind you in making that effort. I like that too when you said that you can start over. And even today, you can go home today mm -hmm. and you can say, okay, this was then, this is now. Don't be afraid to step up and want to start over. And it's, it's possible in the Lord. Uh, also, one thing with the love and respect that I want to add to, again, like John said, we don't have a blended family, but we have family members. Um, I think that love and respect is also really important for you who have children, who now you have exes. Um, I've seen it done well and I've seen it done poorly, and I've seen the effects that it has on children, and I would challenge you, and I, again, I'm not there, so I don't know exactly the pain that you go through, but it is so important that you speak, oh, okay, you speak with love and respect even to your ex or about your ex. You, don't, you can speak the truth in love, like John said, mm -hmm. but I think that is so important in teaching your children life lessons, and you, you may very well not get it reciprocated also, as you said earlier, um, but I would think that would be so important um, that your children do not see the anger you have for each other because usually, again, you said last, last service that most marriages that they end, they usually don't end on a really good note. There's usually anger, there's usually rancor. Um, and, you know, you may never, the side of heaven, see the results or get a pat on the back for being the better person. But that doesn't mean that's not what you're supposed to do. Um, and, I'm and, sorry. I'm, I, while you were talking, you were just kind of hearing the music of my heart leaking out there for, for a bit. But um, the, the next question and this, this is kind of a two-parter in a way. I broke it down into two questions, but I'm going to squish it back together. How do I handle it when I'm disappointed with my spouse? And how do I help my spouse when she is disappointed with me? Well, I think a lot of disappointment, and you're going to be disappointed. Life is full of disappointments. 
Um, you know, we get married with all of these wonderful feelings, which is good, and that's the way God intended it. But very quickly, you can be disappointed. Um, you're disappointed with your children, your parents, your friends. Everybody is going to let you down. We've all heard that, except the Lord, of course. Um, but often what I found in my life with disappointments, when I'm disappointed, is it's because of my expectations. My expectations maybe were way up here, but I'm not telling anybody what my expectations are. So how are people supposed to know? Well, so then I, in my mind, I think, well, if John really loved me, if he really knew me, if he really cared, he would know what I need. He would know what kind of date I wanted him to take me, him to take me on. Or he would know my hurts or what I'm sensitive about. But you know what? That's just not always the case. Um, this is, again, where communication comes in and is so important that you've got to talk to each other. Um, I've had a, a person just not too long ago was so upset because she goes, I just wish my husband would make me a priority, that he would, he would um, take me on a date. Well, he did, but then she wasn't happy with where he took, she, you know, he took her. And, and I said, well, how is he supposed to know if you don't tell him? And she goes, well, if I, if I have to tell him, then it doesn't, it's not really coming from his heart. And that's just a bunch of hogwash because we're all built differently like we talked about last week. I'm wired differently than John. He doesn't know what my deepest desires are. Nobody does. I am a mystery, and I like it that way. <laughs> but, but yet sometimes then I think somebody should know. So you've got to communicate. If you want him to take you on a certain kind of date or make the babysitting arrangements, tell him. It doesn't mean it means any less. Sometimes you have to do that to help each other. And, you know, once you do that once, chances are maybe the spouse, I'm not, I don't like to pick on the husband, um, but maybe he'll get the message and then he'll come along. So my expectations, I've got a lot of expectations. I think I'm getting the message right yeah. now. So it's just, I think, look at your expectations and what you're thinking, and are you being realistic? In, and because if you, if you do have all these high expectations, you're going to constantly be, be disappointed. It, it, and that's not a fun place to be, because then inside, if you don't talk about it, you become resentful, you become cranky, um, you're just no fun. And I was that way a lot, I know. I what about you? I what do you do when you get that. disappointed in me? You know what? I'm glad you asked me that. No, actually, Shelley very seldom disappoints me. I have very low expectations. And, and that's true. That is true. It is, that's, I, I, you know what? I believe that. It is true that some people it are is. more high maintenance and some people are lower maintenance. And you just need to accept that and realize that, well, she's just a little higher maintenance or he's a little higher maintenance. No, that's true. You no, are lower I'm, maintenance. You are, have lower levels of needing. It's true. true. If there's anything that she has done over the years that annoy me is she wants to, she wants the best for me. You want the best for me. And so... Have you ever seen, like, a, uh, an, a, a 
kind of a natural biology show that takes you into the jungle, maybe, um, and there you see baboons, and one baboon is picking at the other baboon. Sometimes that bothers me. Like, are you, you're not going to wear that shirt, are you? Are you really going to wear that shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, we really, I just try to, I think pretty much I roll with the, I am very, I just say nothing, and, and this is a tip, man, do not ever say anything negative about your wife's appearance. Look on the bright side. <laughs> Encouragement works better than discouragement. That's, that's true. Compliments. Compliment what is good. And just keep your mouth shut about what isn't. And be patient. Yeah, and we could do the same. It's really true. Uh, but really I really do no, love you. you. Do. I, I say, I, I basically, every day I tell her how beautiful she is to me. I tell her I love her almost every day. I used to bring her daisies every week, at least once a week, but um, I've fallen off That went off by the there. wayside. Well, I, it's hard to find anyway, daisies next, next here question. in Visalia. Really? They must be daisies. Um, the question, though, what if, look, if, if your spouse is disappointed in you and your spouse has communicated it, then you need to apologize and correct if, it, if it's legit. <laughs> no two ways about it. But if it's a pattern, then you need to expect your spouse's recovery time to be correlated to the degree of disappointment that your spouse has experienced. So be patient and make some changes in, in that area. I would suggest to you that you fly humbly um, remember, recriminations and fault-finding, especially a cycle of fault-finding, can be really destructive. So always speak well of one another. Show common courtesy to each other. I would say there are two magic uh, expressions. One is please and the other is thank you. Often, in, even in our closest relationships, we forget to recognize uh, things that we should be thankful for. And I've seen more than one marriage struggle. In fact, uh, if you imagine a ship hitting a rock on a stormy coast, I've seen marriages hit rocks and those rocks, when I hear about them, are very, very small. But it's, been the only, it's become the only thing that they focus on is this, uh, this problem when there's so much more for which to give thanks. But they, it's become a, they've run aground on it, and they can't sit down and communicate about it. That, I read something um, that said, that just triggered my memory, about that we do too often focus on that 20%, let's just use that as a figure, of what is wrong in our marriage rather than focusing on the 80% that is good. And we do that in so many different things of life, but mm -hmm. it, it is. We're obsessive about that. That negative is just so big and powerful. Um, I don't know that I have anything particular to add. Um, 
Question seven. By the way, one of the neat things is these questions will be discussed in our small groups. I hope you're in an R group because uh, that's where you can add more to the answers for some of these questions that are important to all of us. Uh, this next question, John has been very open with his struggle or about his struggle with anger. Can you discuss how a husband with a temper can affect the wife in the marriage and what advice can you give to couples who struggle with this issue? Uh, it definitely was a, an issue in our early marriage and um, John would become, it seemed to me, very angry very easily or a lot of times I didn't even understand where that came from. Now, I was not raised in a family with a, a dad that became that angry. My dad's pretty easygoing. So to me, it was actually kind of scary. I. I didn't really know what to do with it. Again, I was young, and I hadn't really talked to, talked to anyone about anger or how to deal with it. But what it really did to me was it scared me, and it shut me down. I mean, it shut me down where I didn't want to respond. I didn't feel like I could respond because part of me felt like, well, maybe I'll just make him angrier um, if I say anything. So I would withdraw. I would become quieter. The more that happened, the more his voice would go up, or the angrier he would become, and then I would withdraw more. So that became kind of a pattern with us, and, um, and, and not a healthy pattern at all. And we just weren't communicating well. And I think John has shared this before, but what was really helpful to me was um, John was able to finally communicate to me that part of that pursuing me in anger, that's what I felt like. I felt like I was just being pursued to, fig to figure everything out, to make everything okay. And the more he did that, the further away I wanted to go. But when he communicated to me that he was afraid, he was afraid because his parents had divorced, he saw kind of the same kind of behavior probably, like with your dad, his dad was tended to be a very angry man. And so that's what John saw modeled. Um, and he didn't want that to happen to us. He didn't want us to end in divorce. He wanted to make things okay, but the way he was doing it was not working for me. But when he communicated that to me, you know, we didn't change right away, but it did help. It endeared him to me. It made me want to, it made me understand him more, and it made me want to help him. So that was very important for us. We still, he doesn't get angry like that now over the years. Again, of following the Lord, you learn different ways to deal with your anger, um, which you should, because if that's what your children are seeing, then that's what they kind of think is normal. And that should not be. No, all anger is not bad. It's okay sometimes to get angry, and angry can cause you to maybe change things, stimulate you to want to make changes, differences, but it's, it's the way you do it. You know, what does Scripture say? Be angry, but do not sin Yeah, in your so anger. often it does give license to wrong-headed, wrong-hearted, ugly words and actions that are certainly not constructive or edifying or helpful. And it gives license uh, to it because you feel injured. Anger always springs or is triggered by a sense of injury and threat. And that injury and threat may be false. 
And that's that was true, often the case I felt with injured. me. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I did feel injured. So you're saying, but that wasn't the case with you. You weren't trying to injure me. No, absolutely not. Um, and by the way, I would encourage anybody that's struggling with anger, uh, look, there's no substitute for doing some research. Find out what's going on. Read about it. Study it. The Bible has a lot to say about it, too. And, if you uh, don't read, there's I audio talk books. On the subject. Audio books. Every do. time I speak at a men's retreat, I talk on anger. I always find a way to fit that in because men and women, we all do. It's a God-given emotion, but how men process it and how they express it is often very unrighteous and it's threatening. I'll tell you why, though. I think men don't want to be vulnerable. They are vulnerable because they have been injured. That's what triggers the anger. But anger feels better. It feels powerful. And so we resort to anger because we don't want to talk about what is fearful inside. And yet, in a good relationship, men, you've got to find ways to handle that anger with honesty and constructive communication so that you bring that person closer. Anger pushes people away, mm -hmm. and it leaves a lot of damage in its wake. And often we men don't know how to repair the injuries and the wrongs that we've committed in an angry rage that we feel just about because we've been wronged in some way. And the crazy thing was my dad was very powerful and angry. It made me feel very inferior. Mm -hmm. And I carried that into my marriage. And when you feel weak and inferior, and I looked up to her. I thought she did everything right. And so I got easily offended. And I wanted love from her. But sometimes I didn't communicate that. And so the little injuries were heightened by the fact that I wasn't telling her what I needed and I wasn't getting it from her. And so any little... Well, in consideration, I felt like an injury, and I would and feel an, it. Another clue is when John would become angry, and even now I can tell because we communicate so much better. Am I getting angry now? No, but I can tell when I say something that he just, it's like his heckles raise, you know, or you, know you can just kind of see it in them. And I realize a lot of times it's because, going back to what we talked about last week about love and respect, that somehow he feels disrespected and, and you feel injured. You feel there's something that I have done or said. So that's a real clue to me to, you know, take a step back and maybe examine, maybe keep my mouth shut at that moment because timing is very important when you decide to talk about certain things. I mean, I always say to my kids or my grandkids, do you have ears to hear me? Do you have ears to hear or should we talk about this later? And I even think about that with John, okay, does he have ears to hear what I want to say right now? And often in the middle of conflict, that's not when people have uh, ears to hear. Yeah, love and respect. Yeah, um, so step back. But I don't, I don't want her to have to work around me. And men, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be the kind of touchy, angry person. You've got to, you've got to resolve this by discovering on your own the mechanics. They're there. There are a lot of people that can help you. I can help you. There are things to learn, but you won't learn it unless you're really a student motivated to do it because you should not be frightening your children and your wife. 
But we as wives also can help in that process. You're, and I don't, you're right. I, we shouldn't I don't have want to, work to frighten you. people I work with. I don't want to frighten anybody. And that's what Christ has brought about. And, and that's why I'm a different person uh, today. So anyway, there are some things. We were funnier in the last service. I don't know what the difference is. Number eight. I feel kind of like I'm not ready for the 700 Club, but <laughs> no, we're not. this is a different kind of experience being up here. Maybe we'll break out in song or something. Um, if your if your spouse has a habit or quirk that you find extremely irritating, and the person wrote extremely in big caps. And then, as though I didn't get the message, in parentheses, after extremely irritating, the person wrote, that is, it makes your blood boil. <laughs> so now that you've got the picture, what should you do about it? Well, let's all face it. I mean, just not saying anything is not the answer because our body language will totally give us away. Um, whether it's the look on your attitude. face, attitude. I mean, you, you, it isn't something unless you're just really good at it. And we all have quirks and habits. And now I'm talking about quirks and habits that are not sin. Okay, so that's a totally different if you're dealing with a sin issue. So we're not talking about sin here. Well, we're, that kind of relates to your expectations, too, that you talked about earlier, when, when people disappoint your expectations, right. or what we, what we often call scruples, difference between scruples yeah. and sin. We're raised differently in different homes. You have different... I mean, some of the things that you really like, like when I met John... He was known as Mellow John, and that was back in the 70s, and he was Mellow John. And um, remember the song Mellow Yellow? Of course, it didn't have exactly that same connotation, but I really kind of thought that was neat. I liked that. He was a little um, different than other people I'd been interested in, and I kind of liked that he was quiet and thoughtful, introspective, but after we got married... I did not like it. I mean, it irritated, it irritated me really a lot. We'd get together with friends or at family get-togethers, and he's just quiet. He's just quiet. doesn't say anything. It's like, say things. People are going to think you're a log, or people are going to think you're rude, or, you know, talk, say things. Well, he does not like to be the center of attention. So what I found very kind of cute in him I didn't like. So sometimes that happens. Actually, very often that happens. But I have learned with myself, because there are some things that annoy me about John or that irritate me that I wish he didn't do, and I'm not going to go into those right now uh, with you. Still? No, I'm not. But I, to be honest, <laughs> there are things I have learned to let go. And I came up with the Let It Go long before the song well, back in, in, the 80s. in the Frozen. That let was my Let It Go, Let It Go. I tell women that all the time. Um, I have learned to let things go. And it's, it, it, I mean, again, that 80% of goodness and things that I really enjoy and appreciate about John, if I focus on just that 5% to 20%, our relationship is going to be negative most of the time. And um, it's, it's not easy. 
it's not easy, but it's easier now than it was. And so I would say, again, if it's not a sin issue, I think you should talk about it. Again, when I was younger, I used to think if John really loved me, he wouldn't do blank. You know, if he really cared about me, he would change this in his behavior. One thing I will tell you that does kind of irritate me about him uh, is he's really slow in getting ready to go somewhere and preparing to go somewhere. And he's got his backpack and it's got everything he needs in it. And I'll be in the car. I usually drive because my driving annoys him. So I usually drive. And I'm waiting for him waiting. And I've learned to do it very patiently. But he comes, he's got his backpack. And he, but I'll, I will tell you this. When we go somewhere, he is the Boy Scout. He has the binoculars. He has the knife if we need it. He, you have a pen and paper. So whenever I need something, you have it. So that's a good She's thing. She's trying to make up now. No, it's true. <laughs> I, I would tell everybody that I can hardly think of a thing that you do. Because that you're lower me. maintenance. You have oh, lower it's true. expectations. It's true. I have very low expectations. <laughs> but I would be a problem for somebody else. I'm not just trying to be humorous. Uh, the fact is, when you lower your expectations, you know how you lower your expectations? You take a good, clear look at yourself in the light of Christ and you realize, I have so much to be grateful for because His grace forgives me for so much. <laughs> that, yeah, I am much more forgiving, much more grateful. Um, I do find that complimenting and speaking well of other people works better than finding fault and being frustrated and irritated because of things you can't change in others. You can be a more dynamic, constructive, and positive influence by the things that you do and demonstrate and exemplify rather than just fault-finding. And I do. I, I like to tell Shelley regularly that I love her, that I think she looks great today, no matter what she's doing <laughs> and wearing, oh. um, because that is the way I see her. Can I just end, because we're, we're running out of time, but can I just, I just want to say again, and I think I said it last week, but I hope that we've been an encouragement to you in your marriages. Um, it's hard being married, but yet the Lord wants us to have joy. He, want things, he wants things to be better, and I believe with my whole heart they can be better, even the worst marriages. I really do. I've, God has changed my heart in many ways. So I would encourage you to be encouraged, to not lose hope. It's worth it to be married 43 years, and there's some here who've probably been married longer than that. It's worth it. It's worth it to still be friends, to be raising your grandchildren, seeing your grandchildren together. And if you need help, get help. Find a mentor. Find a couple to mentor you. Um, don't be afraid to speak out about weaknesses that you have because we all have weaknesses. We all stumble in many ways. So I was it. 20. Shelley was 19 when we got married. But even at that age, it, was, it became my life's goal that the most, in other words, the most important achievement in my life, the most important thing to me in life was to have a good marriage with Shelley. I, I couldn't think of anything greater that I could do or undertake or accomplish in life than our marriage together, our relationship. I mean, when you think about the implications of that, that's, that's not a bad purpose for life. 
it's important to have a purpose like that because if your greatest good has something to do with your individual prosperity, achievement, and aspirations apart from your relationship, then your spouse and your children will always be in some way in competition with what's most important to you. And you'll not find yourself trusting in the Lord because the Lord will be pushing you toward the most important things, and that is your marriage and your children and uh, that relationship. But you'll, you'll realize that through a strong marriage, a healthy marriage, a growing marriage, it will be the Lord's launching pad for a lot of great blessings and achievements in your life that you might, and I would say, would not know and experience any other way. Marriage gets better and better and better when Christ is the third person in your relationship. And it gets better in every respect, even in intimacy and affection. So uh, don't think that when you start with a marriage, you're at 100% and, the, and you're, you're strapped with the responsibility of trying to maintain 100% what it was like the very first day. No, it gets better and better. You'll know new depths of friendship, affection, mutual respect. Um, I'm so glad it's gotten better. I would, no way would I want to go back. So it does get better. It's much better especially when you work on it together. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you for your great love, a love that is shown to us with incredible respect. You honor a dignity in us that we don't even appreciate sometimes. Father, thank you for that kind of love and respect exemplified in the way you love us, showing us the way to love others as well. Bless our, bless our marriages, bless our friendships, uh, bless those special relationships that are important to us, work relationships, school relationships. Lord, help us to show love and respect because you have shown us first. We pray in Jesus' matchless name and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you.